This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of doing a podcast on one of our clinical trial features in the journal. This is a trial that is certainly uh, very, very uh, long-awaited. Uh, this is a trial that obviously uh, is of a lot of interest to gynecologic oncologists. This is the CHRONO, a randomized trial of chronology of surgery after neoadjuvant chemotherapy for ovarian cancer. And for this podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Jean-Marc Classé, who's in the Department of Surgical Oncology at the Institut de Cancerologie, the West in, uh, in France. And then also uh, Florence Jolie. Uh, she's going to also introduce her institution, <laughs> as I could not get the pronunciation in French. I'm still uh, very basic on my French lessons. So uh, uh, Florence and uh, yes. Jean-Marc, uh, welcome to the, uh, to the podcast. And thank you so, so much for, for your time. Oh, thank you, uh, Pedro. So I'm medical oncologist and I work uh, in Saint François Baclès uh, Anti-Cancer Center uh, at Caen, uh, of course, in France. And we we close we work close together with the teams of surgeons and the gynaeco group. Fantastic. So this is uh, again uh, a very long-awaited topic. I have been really looking forward to uh, speaking with both of you about this. We have a lot of questions, so I hope we'll be able to get through all of them. So, Florence, I'll start with you. Um, I was wondering if you can start by discussing as to why we as gynecologic oncologists or medical oncologists who care for women uh, with gynecologic cancers, why are we so fixated on doing surgery after three to four cycles and not six cycles of neoadjuvant chemotherapy? Yes, it's, it's a very, very important and good question for a medical oncologist because we have no rule. What we could uh, say is the concept of interval-level kidney surgery has been primarily developed in breast cancer, and the objective is to test the chemosensibility, in fact. And uh, doing after three and four, it's a good timing to be sure there is not a group of patients who want response to chemotherapy. So that's why the fast, we, we decided to, to use three cycles, but there is no scientific rule not to go to six cycles, in fact. And uh, if we have a look on the oldest uh, study in ovarian cancer, we never demonstrated that uh, surgery after six cycles was better than uh, before, but the study was poorly designed and it is a very challenging. And in fact, in, in practice, we we use often to do it like that, to do six cycle. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, certainly is becoming increasingly more frequent, even outside of a clinical trial, uh, where we're now seeing patients going to six cycles of neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy. And I was wondering if uh, perhaps Jean-Marc, uh, you can answer, you know, certainly there have been several studies evaluating this extended period of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Um, what percentage do you think today may of patients may be undergoing six cycles of neoadjuvant chemotherapy? Uh, this is a very good question. And firstly, I just want to, to point that the indication of uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy come because uh, we try to perform a complete surgery 
a reasonable surgery with a very low risk of morbidity and mortality. So that's why in uh, certain patients not suitable to uh, primary surgery, we perform uh, neoadjuvant chemo in order, as said uh, Florence, uh, um, hopefully some patients had um, uh, uh, high chemosensitive uh, disease, and after uh, new adjuvant chemo, we can perform um, this uh, surgery. And um, we observed that um, a low, a very high rates of patients uh, are treated with more than three cycles. Um, in France, we published um, in uh, uh, 2012, a first study uh, with the patients uh, included in the study uh, uh, around uh, 2003 to 2007, and the rate of uh, chemo um, of um, patients uh, treated uh, after six chemotherapy, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, was around 12 persons. But recently, uh, we published a new uh, paper in uh, cancers uh, in 2020, and uh, it was about more than 5,000 of patients in uh, several uh, centers in France, and we observed a rate of 40% of patients treated um, after six cycles of new adjuvant chemo. And in a recent paper in the United States, uh, Melamed published that uh, in a recent period, uh, the rate of uh, patient treated with uh, five or more cycle uh, was around 40%. So uh, it's not proved, but uh, it's very often. I just want to add a very uh, something looking for me very important. We have two very different situations. People, uh, patients who are still not suitable to um, surgery after three cycles. For this patient, we add more in order to improve the quality of the response and the chance to obtain a complete surgery. And the second situation is patient very chemosensitive. Mm -hmm. And the hypothesis for this kind of patient is, OK, if they are very sensitive and uh, not suitable for primary surgery, but suitable after three courses, why don't we add more courses in order to limit the importance of surgery, and that's uh, the hypothesis of uh, chronotrial. Yeah, this is uh, this brings up uh, really important and, and interesting uh, scenarios uh, for us as well. Uh, and before we get into the the chrono study, I wanted to actually follow up on on the the point you brought up, Jean Marc, with regards to uh, you know certainly now uh, and more frequently we've seen patients who are responding well after three, and they're doing well. They have an excellent quality of life. And they say, well, why have surgery now? Let's do more chemotherapy. And, you know, even to the point where we have had patients that after six, the imaging shows that there is no evidence of disease. The CA125s, uh, you know, certainly uh, are normal. And many of those patients will question, well, why do I even need surgery now? Um, and as a follow-up to that, the patients that do go to surgery, they often ask, well, why do I need more chemo? Perhaps if my, if, you know, if I have had truly a, a, a complete response. So I wanted to just get, hopefully get from, from both of you, after finishing those six cycles and undergoing surgery, you know, is there really good evidence that patients need additional chemotherapy? 
Uh, it's, a, it's a question we often discuss <laughs> uh, within our group because if we look to the literature, we don't have strong argument to add two more cycles after uh, the, the debulking surgery after six cycles. However, in a routine, it's what is, of, is done by most of the teams without really uh, scientific evidence. And the other point for the chrono study, and we discuss a lot, is to have the same number of uh, uh, chemotherapy uh, in the both arm, and to have in the arm who uh, receive chemo, uh, six cycles of chemotherapy and then surgery, an adjuvant setting way to have like similar uh, design even if it's not exactly the same courses before and after surgery so it's it was a long debate it's not perfect and um, in the point of view of the oncologist it was difficult uh, to uh, to admit just to do surgery without a couple of cycle uh, as adjuvant uh, treatment very well yes pedro i think in your question you add a very uh, interesting issue. Uh, is uh, surgery useful for patients after six courses and uh, complete response at the CT scan? Um, I think it's um, too soon, maybe too soon. Uh, maybe uh, today it's uh, an ethical question, but um, we need team who are... Um, really uh, motivates into uh, designing a new trial without surgery. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is uh, uh, maybe the, the, the trial after chrono. Uh, yeah. In chrono, we say, okay, we can pursue, uh, perform surgery after six, and maybe um, we can avoid surgery in case of very bad response. But it's not the same question. But for patients with a so high response, you, you perform what? You, you perform a laparotomy to perform an homotectomy, hysterectomy, uh, without any um, uh, tumor cells into the, these specimens of surgery. So the, your question is very good, but maybe, maybe it's too soon. Yes, we, we cannot answer with chrono study. <laughs> yeah, co completely agree, and, and and I think that'll be a challenge uh, for for someone down down the, the future. So um, let's get now into the the chrono study. Uh, if you can just tell us what is the study schema, and what is the primary objective and uh, secondary objectives. Okay, so the chrono study is a randomized, uh, multi institutional phase three. Uh, trial. Um, the schema is uh, very simple. You need uh, to be included to be a patient with uh, serous or endometrioid high grade mm -hmm. and not uh, any other uh, pathologic subtype. And then you need to be approved uh, not suitable to primary surgery. This is very important. And for that, uh, laparoscopy is mandatory. Mm. And uh, after you perform the free first cycle. You're not into the chrono trial. Um, after the free uh, first um, cycle, a new uh, uh, assessment. Uh, laparoscopy is recommended, but not mandatory. So you can perform uh, directly surgery if you think um, this is needed. 
And at this time, patients initially not suitable to primary surgery who become uh, suitable after three, three cycle become chrono patients. So we ask them if they are okay, they sign the, the consent form, and then we perform the randomization. And the randomization is two arms. Arm A, we perform surgery now after the three more uh, three year cycle. And arm B, we perform surgery after six cycle. So you need to be really uh, organized because you, you need a date of surgery now, if the patient is in a, a, a group. And um, the primary endpoint uh, is disease-free survival. So in the follow-up, uh, we need uh, to see uh, the patient uh, on the follow-up every, every three months. And then after the two first year, every six months with the clinical assessments, with the uh, biological CA125. Uh, and a CT scan. And um, the secondary endpoints are overall survival, quality of life, um, the pathological complete response rates, the rates of complete surgery. So it's different. The complete surgery is a, a looked by the surgeon, and the pathological complete response rate is by the pathologist. And after we have uh, ancillary uh, questions as uh, the PCI index, the faculty score, um, and we, we are going to look to the um, uh, CA125 uh, to see um, if it's useful for the chemosensitivity. Um, I think about the Kelim score um, uh, by uh, our colleague Benoit Yu. A lot of publications show that. Uh, um, this is a very good new tool to um, experiment the chemosensitivity. Uh, so that, that is uh, the schema of the chronotrial. And you observe, and that's one of your questions, you observe that in the chronotrial, each patient experiences eight cycles of chemo in a total number of uh, chemo. Very well. And um, one question regarding the inclusion criteria. Um, you mentioned also the laparoscopy, Fagotti score. How do you define uh, who is not a candidate uh, <laughs> for uh, surgery upfront? I, I was um, I was afraid of this question, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a very important question. The, we we must be clear. Um, there is not a published uh, score about who is or is not uh, suitable to surgery. So we decide um, to say uh, no patient needing a complete colectum. Mm -hmm. No patient with three or more uh, small bowel uh, resection in order to avoid uh, small bowel syndrome. Uh, no uh, uh, gastrectomy, no surgery uh, of the pancreas, uh, total, um, uh, limited uh, sometimes, because sometimes you have to remove the left ankle of uh, the colon uh, and uh, the spleen, and sometimes the last two centimeters of the pancreas, but no more. Um, we uh, avoid bilateral uh, diaphragmatic, uh, very important resection. 
and um, when the hepatic pedicle uh, is involved because uh, and when a patient is metastatic. So uh, only FIGO3, um, uh, C, and uh, 4A, but no more. Uh, well, here we have uh, the, the reason of, uh, and it is very important to be clear in your patient file. I include chrono trials this patient because we, I observe this situation of uh, no uh, uh, contraindication of primary surgery. Very well. And uh, you mentioned also that laparoscopy was acceptable at the time of the interval surgery. In other words, that the laparoscopy being used to assess whether the patient could go to surgery mm -hmm. or additional chemotherapy after three cycles of uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy. I, I presume you're using some of those same criteria to determine uh, whether to proceed with surgery or additional chemotherapy at that point? Yeah, yes, it, it, exactly the same criteria. It was important to say that uh, the, uh, the uh, first assessment laparoscopy was mandatory in order to have a very uh, homogeneous uh, population. Uh, at the time of uh, the second assessment, um, some teams uh, prefer to, uh, to say, okay, the CT scan is very good, uh, the biology is very good, uh, I don't need a laparoscopy, so the second laparoscopy is not mandatory. Very well. And uh, what is your anticipated accrual in terms of a total number of patients? And how long do you think the study will take to complete that accrual? Um, we need uh, 210 uh, patients in a total uh, accrual. Uh, we are um, just in France because it's a French study, not international. Uh, we um, have 20 teams very uh, specialized in uh, the surgery of uh, advanced ovarian cancer. And today um, we have already uh, 160 patients uh, included into the study. So uh, we are going to stop uh, inclusion uh, next year, uh, around April, May of uh, next year. And um, the follow-up is five years for uh, each patient in order to go to the to the events. But maybe after um, uh, when we complete the, re the recruitment of the patients, uh, when we will observe uh, our number of events, uh, we will stop. Fantastic. Um, now, this is uh, this next question, as some of the questions I'll be asking today come from our fellows in the journal. This is from Christina Ewing in the UK. Um, she says, your protocol states that complete cytoreductive surgery uh, may be performed by midline laparotomy or laparoscopy. Um, given that laparoscopy has not been proven to be a standard for interval surgery and actually being studied by one of our um, uh, colleagues here at Anderson as a principal investigator, Alejandro Raujain, in the LANS trial, a prospective randomized trial in that setting of interval surgery, how do you justify uh, proceeding with laparoscopy here? Okay, uh, this is um, very specific to uh, our, our group because uh, one of us published in the International Journal of, uh, Gynec of uh, Gynecology Cancer um, this year or last year, the SILOV study. It was a prospective cohort of patients with a, a very small uh, PCI, uh, less than 10 of PCI, 
um, and he performed uh, the surgery by laparoscopy. Uh, so uh, we introduced this uh, possibility into the coronal trial. But uh, just um, today, we, we know that um, considering the first 160 patients, only six patients were uh, operated by laparoscopy. Uh, as it was a um, uh, parameter uh, for the stratification, the six patients are free in a group A and free in a group mm -hmm. B. Uh, and I think we will not have a lot of uh, this kind of patients. Very well. Um, another question that comes from our fellows is, uh, does every patient have a CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis every three months regardless of whether they have symptoms, regardless of what their CA125 level is during the, during the study, or are there um, uh, differences in terms of uh, when to get imaging based on symptoms or a rise in CA125? Well, we, we, um, I, I, I uh, performed the first reply and Florence will add uh, obviously some uh, information, but we wanted uh, as uh, our main primary uh, objective was uh, DFS. We wanted a study uh, clean, um, considering the follow-up. So um, obviously, uh, we observe the symptoms. Uh, we look at the biology, but uh, we perform um, a CT scan uh, from the thorax, uh, abdomen, pelvic, uh, with a very, very um, homogeneous uh, method and a schedule in order to after have a um, really uh, clean study. Uh, Florence, what do you want to yes, say yes, more? Yes, ju just in the methodologic point of view, the progression will be assessed by RESIST. So we, we need to have a CT scan. Uh, and for sure, uh, it includes uh, as well uh, CT scan, but uh, uh, some extra imaging can be done if patient has some symptoms. Very well. And uh, Florence, I'll ask you this next question. This comes from Catherine Hicks-Courant in, uh, in the U.S. Um, her question is, you know, certainly, and I think we spoke a little bit about this earlier, uh, in terms of the number of cycles of total treatment for, for these patients who undergo neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy, her question specifically is that for the chrono uh, study, um, why a total of eight cycles? In other words, you know, why not nine? Why not seven? <laughs> Uh, how come eight was the chosen? Yes, we, we, we have already started to, to answer to this question. So uh, you're right. In the standard harm, it's not usual to, to give six cycle, uh, uh, to, to, to give eight cycle of chemotherapy. But as we explained, we really wanted to have the same number of cycle in the both arm because for us, this study tests the chemosensibility. And it's very important to have the same number. Otherwise, we won't conclude anything. So as I explained, in practice nowadays, when uh, the surgery is done after six cycles, the medical oncologist used to add two more additional uh, chemotherapy, even if the level of evidence is not so high. So when we decided the study, we realized that if we didn't add two more chemotherapy in the standard arm, we couldn't compare properly the chemosensibility. 
that's why. Uh, we, we have today a very important literature about the impact of the number of uh, cycle. Um, uh, recently, uh, the um, MSKCC from New York uh, performed a very, uh, very important study. And when we see this literature, we observe that between 20 to 40% of patients um, really add uh, around uh, seven to eight uh, cycles. So, um, it's not a standard, and it's important to, to have the same number uh, in the two arms, but uh, I think uh, this is uh, really near uh, the, the real life. Yes, and, and I mean, Jean-Marc, uh, obviously, congratulations on the fact that it's accruing so, so well. Uh, the next question, again, from Catherine, kind of alludes to this point, and I'm wondering if, looking back, do you wish that you would have had an arm with no adjuvant cycles after doing surgery? Uh, do you think that that would have um, added additional valuable information? Yes, uh, it's, this is very interesting. Um, when you, when we built uh, this uh, trial, uh, obviously we we it was a question, uh, but uh, we must be realistic. Uh, we don't um, ovarian cancer is not a very frequent uh, disease. Uh, we have a lot of trials, and we wanted uh, with Chrono to to respond to one question. Uh, so uh, it was not possible to add more uh, and more patients. Uh, when you perform a um, trial with three arms, you must add more patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, not, uh, it, it, it's a very important question issue too. Uh, you must add uh, more money. Uh, the cost uh, <laughs> increase, obviously. So um, uh, we, we, we were really aware uh, about this uh, very important issue, but we decided to to keep just two arms. Yes, and Pedro, in addition, uh, it was a, a critical point for us for the standard arm, because we know now that uh, six cycle is better than four cycle. We have some previous studies that demonstrated that uh, even for a localized uh, stage of disease. So for us, not given chemotherapy after uh, interval debulking surgery uh, was an issue. And if we didn't add adjuvant chemotherapy, uh, it won't be the standard today. So we, we, we should have at least six cycles in the standard heart. So the question was, was in fact easy. Yes. And now uh, I, I guess I'll direct these next few questions to you, Florence. Uh, another question uh, that comes from Catherine as well is we will sometimes use now bevacizumab. Uh, in our neoadjuvant uh, regimen or also as an adjuvant regimens. Can you uh, discuss a little bit about why only bevacizumab as maintenance uh, rather than also allowed in the neoadjuvant setting? Yes, when we started the study, we didn't have this data. Mm. Nowadays, we have two trials. I, I designed one of these trials, Antalya trial, that showed that we could use bevacizumab in combinations with chemotherapy in neoadjuvant setting. However, it's, it's well tolerated and it doesn't increase the risk of uh, surgery called toxicity. However, it doesn't improve uh, the efficacy. So today in France, at least, we don't include 
bevacizumab systematically in the neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy setting. So that's why, but after surgery, we introduce bevacizumab in combination with chemotherapy uh, after one cycle after the surgery. So it's the practice and it's the best data we have to, to put the, beta, the bevacizumab is its best uh, indication. Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, certainly the next question, you can't speak these days about interval debulking surgery without touching on the point of HIPEC. Um, and uh, the next question was, you know, certainly that HIPEC is potentially permitted. Um, and how do the investigators uh, plan to account for uh, some patients undergoing HIPEC in the, in the study? And, you know, certainly one can argue that, well, it's a randomized trial, so they could equally balance. But um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Right. Um, for us, it was uh, very important. Uh, in France, uh, as in the recent uh, NCCN uh, recommendations, uh, we recommend as an option the IPEC uh, in the setting of interval debulking after three courses. Uh, is the same uh, design that uh, of IPEC study in the New England uh, from uh, Wilmin van Rier. Mm -hmm. So um, our question was, uh, if we accept uh, in the arm A uh, IPEC, we will uh, have a very important um, problem with the arm uh, B uh, and uh, uh, in no balance between the two arms. So uh, under the umbrella of the trial, we decide to uh, accept uh, IPEC uh, with a very uh, precise um, um, method of IPEC uh, as uh, it was uh, described uh, in the of IPEC trial. So the same shame um, in the arm A, arm two, and it was also um, a parameter for the stratification in order to have the same number of IPEC in the arm A and arm B. Excellent. Um, another uh, point that I think is also important when we're looking at oncologic outcomes today, obviously in ovarian cancer, is the issue of BRCA status and uh, HRD status and even potentially other molecular markers. So uh, one of the questions from one of our other fellows, Jessica Sun, is uh, what are your plans with regards to evaluating how this might influence the results of your study when you come through the final analyses? Yes, if we redesign the study today, it will be some stratification factor. But when we started to do the study, it was not yet so important. So we, we, we will have the data. We will have RCRD and BRC1 and 2. And we will analyze according. And if there is some unbalance of some difference, we will have to adjust on them. But uh, this is a plan of, sh of sure. We will we, do it. But it is not planned as a stratification factor. Yeah. And as a follow-up to that, Florence, uh, uh, one of the other questions that came up from our fellows was, how will the cohort receiving maintenance therapy um, be handled, evaluated as it pertains to the analysis on oncologic outcomes? Yes, we, we, so we will probably have different cohorts uh, according to the guidelines. And uh, in France, we use the international guidelines, and today we will have some patients who will receive bevacizumab in maintenance, 
plus or less uh, olaparib if uh, HRD or uh, BRCA mutation. Uh, and uh, in case of BRC uh, mutation, uh, we will have some uh, patient who could receive uh, uh, only a PARP inhibitor without uh, bevacizumab. So we will have different group of patients who will receive different type of treatment and will be, in fact, very linked with the BRCA and HRD status. So it will be two uh, confounding factors, in fact. So we will have to adjust on that, yes. Yeah, and, and as a, as a follow-up to that, um, love to hear a little bit more about the practice in France with regards to PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy. Um, is it, you know, certainly, is this part of the routine practice uh, today? Do you think that the use of, uh, of PARP inhibitors in the setting of maintenance therapy uh, will impact the outcomes of, uh, of the arms of this uh, trial? It's, it's a good point because we will have probably one third of the patient who won't receive routinely PAR because it, it was the beginning of the recruitment of the study. And now the last part of the recruitment or all the patient will receive PARP inhibitor if they have some uh, HRD or BSA uh, mutation. So probably it could influence. It will depend of the balance between the two groups. So we will have to, to check that, yes, for sure. Great. And Jean-Marc, I wanted to ask you, uh, and also Florence as well, uh, with regards to, you know, obviously uh, having had experience with completing a prospective randomized trial, what have been some of the greatest challenges for you as you have gone through this trial? And do you foresee any potential challenges in, in completing the trial? For, for me, the, this trial will... Um, uh, the building of the trail uh, was um, quite uh, easy because um, we, um, it's a very important question. And, and we observe, uh, as we said uh, in the beginning of our discussion, uh, we observed a very important increase in the number of neoadjuvant chemo um, cycle without any proof. So um, we believe that uh, it, it was um, our um, objective to perform a trial uh, in order to, to bring this response. Uh, really, um, when you look at patients um, mm. with a very important uh, tumor burden, um, becoming uh, suitable to, to, to surgery after just three cycles of uh, neoadjuvant chemo, uh, obviously you think about chemo sensitivity. And, um, we assume that uh, it could be uh, safe and accurate to delay this uh, surgery after more cycle in order to, to um, reduce, as I said in the beginning, to reduce uh, the, the surgery uh, without uh, uh, reducing the survival. Uh, so um, that's why even if uh, DFS will be the same, we have very important issues in the secondary endpoints. Very important for the patients, quality of life, the risk of stoma, um, the risk of morbidity, mortality. Um, maybe we have a lot of uh, uh, advantages for the patients, uh, even if the primary endpoint is not uh, so positive. So uh, for us, uh, it's possible that this study 
is going to um, move uh, the, the the practices of a surgeon and uh, uh, some uh, teams in other countries uh, begin uh, their own uh, chrono trial. So uh, it's an interesting issue. Well, fantastic. And Florence, you want to add uh, any additional words? Uh, you know, yes, I have uh, the, the challenge of this study uh, was, but is still ongoing, to, to work together, surgeon and medical oncologist, because to propose this study to the patient, we, we had to be together. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't work, because it includes the time of the surgery, but different schedule of chemo according. So it was for us a big challenge and it worked quite well in, in France. And we, we show that we can work in multidisciplinary way. That is so great and, uh, and excellent points. And uh, I do wanna congratulate you both on, on this really very important study. We're really, I think you know that the entire gynecologic oncology community is so excited to see the results of this study. I think it will be a packed room whenever you ultimately present the, the results of the study. So <laughs> congratulations on putting it together. Congratulations on, on implementing it. And we look forward to, to the completion. Thank you so much again for submitting the, the, the protocol to the International Journal. And uh, thank you for your time. Uh, it was really a pleasure. I learned a great deal and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you both again. Thank you, Pedro. It was a really a great pleasure to, to work with you. Yes. Thank you to give us the opportunity to talk about Chrono. Many thanks. Thank you. <laughs>